Welcome to Talking Shop, Herbert Smith Freehill's podcast series exploring the latest global trends for consumer sector companies. My name is Eva Zureb, a partner and commercial litigator in our Melbourne office, specialising in defending class actions and product liability litigation. Talking shop with us today, we have various members of our global privacy practice group, and I'll hand over to them to introduce themselves. I'm Carmen Joy in Melbourne. Yeah, I'm Peggy Chow from Singapore. I'm Duke Tran from London. I'm Claire Wiseman, also from London. Well, welcome to you all. Today, we are talking shop about digital marketing and the increasing use of AI to analyse customer data focusing on the legal considerations under existing privacy laws and upcoming laws. So before we dive into how digital marketing is regulated, perhaps we start with just establishing how consumer sector companies currently use AI in the context of digital marketing. So I'll, I'll take that. Um, so first of all, I think the, the use of AI in digital marketing is definitely nothing new, but we have observed an increasing reliance on it in different forms by consumer sector companies when implementing their digital marketing strategies. Um, the most common AI use cases that we come across when we advise clients on privacy aspects of digital marketing strategies usually involve like analysis of customer data, usually collected via cookies, perhaps in combination with account and other information to build profiles about consumers based on things like their purchasing behaviour, demographic information, preferences, things like that. This can then be used to determine who to target with advertising, where to place ads, and to make things like personalised offers and product recommendations. It's also a, it's also possible uh, to um, amend content, as in what the consumers actually see, personalising it by using their data to tweak dynamic content on things like web pages and emails, as well as the time of day that content is delivered to them. Um, something I also come across quite a lot is sort of predictive analytics. Uh, so, for example, in the form of analysing data to assign things like lead scores to consumers to work out who it makes most sense to target and focus energies on so that sort of resources and marketing efforts are allocated in a most efficient way as possible. Um, like Peggy, Carmen, does that sort of strike a chord with you in your jurisdictions? Do you see sort of any other sorts of use cases that you come across a lot? Sure, uh, thanks Duke. Um, in terms of uh, use cases, uh, chat box is quite common here in this in uh, across APAC. So uh, chat box are computer programs powered by AI that can respond to users in a natural and conversational manner. They automate customer service conversations, allowing businesses to help their customers immediately in a cost-effective manner. Um, by the way, um, generative AI such as ChatGPT is also a form of chatbot. Yeah, and I just add that uh, you know I guess a lot of these approaches are really developing in in a global way, uh, and we're not necessarily sort of seeing anything sort of unique uh, to our local market in Australia. But I guess where you see differences in is in the way it's deployed. Uh, so there are local differences, of course, in customer preferences, in the way language is used, even if it is the same language like English, uh, and these things uh, you know often need to be actually built into the technology. Uh, in order to actually um, uh, work effectively in terms of promoting to consumers. And then perhaps we see um, some differences yeah, from a jurisdiction perspective in terms of how this is all regulated. So how, how is it regulated from a privacy perspective? 
Yeah, so for in, in certainly in the EU, EU and UK, it's the sort of GDPR and e-privacy legislation that need to be observed when collecting and processing consumers' personal data for the sorts of profiling activities and use cases that we've been talking about. Um, in terms of obligations, it's really no different from a privacy perspective to other types of processing activities. So organisations that use uh, these digital marketing techniques need to do all of the things that they usually need to do when processing personal data under the GDPR, including, but not limited to, providing really clear, transparent privacy information to consumers about how their personal data is collected and processed uh, in this context, and also satisfying a lawful basis for this processing, which will either be to use GDPR to parlance, uh, legitimate interests, or sort of GDPR standard opt-in consent. And if an organisation relies on cookies to collect data about consumers, then they also need to obtain cookie consents prior to dropping the sorts of cookies um, that are used in the context of digital marketing, those being advertising or sort of personalisation type cookies. This will usually be done by way of a cookie banner, which will be familiar to anyone that sort of accesses EU and UK sort of focused websites. And these should have these sorts of cookies turned off by default um, until the consumer actively accepts them. There's also the possibility that the use of AI in digital marketing could be deemed to amount to automated decision making under Article 22 of the GDPR, which gives rise to additional uh, regulatory obligations, quite onerous ones, including the requirement to effectively satisfy a sort of additional legal basis in relation to automated decision making and there's also additional sort of transparency explainability type obligations around that however it's only really engaged um, in a digital marketing context if the relevant profiling activities like are deemed to significantly affect consumers and this might be the case if the consumers being targeted by an organization are particularly vulnerable um, or if the profiling, which might involve monitoring consumers across different websites, devices, services, is like particularly intrusive. Um, so I, I think most run-of-the-mill type digital marketing activities won't sort of meet this threshold, but it's, it's still worth bearing in mind. Um, I think it's just worth noting finally that uh, from a certainly from an EU and UK perspective, it's sort of these sorts of activities are quite heavily scrutinised by the regulators across the EU and UK, and they do take data protection compliance quite seriously, potentially because there is, it directly affects consumers in a quite a wide ranging way. So there have been quite a few significant sort of regulatory fines issued by regulators across Europe uh, for failures to observe these sorts of rules. Uh, there was a recent one in France, for example, for around sort of 40 million euros for an organisation that failed to satisfy what I was talking about, so the transparency obligations and for obtaining like appropriate cookie consents prior to performing these sorts of activities. Um, and to be fair, it was an organisation that was conducting this sort of activity on quite a large scale. I think they were processing around sort of 370 million user identifiers across Europe. So that factored into the level of fine. But I think it is still worth uh, noting that regulators take it seriously. Um, Peggy, Carmen, does that just how, how do these sort of principles compare with uh, those in your jurisdictions? 
Yes, uh, in Singapore, um, we do have these core principles around transparency and legal basis. Although in Singapore, instead of calling, um, you know, uh, legal these uh, legal basis for processing data, we do use terminology such as consent, deemed consent, or consent exceptions. But if you look at the substance of it, um, um some of them are actually uh, similar to uh, le uh, the alternative legal basis under GDPR. Um, but interestingly, under Singapore PDPA, we don't have um, this rule, special ruling, uh, rule on profiling or automated decision making. Um, in terms of the use of cookies, um, we don't have an equivalent uh, legislation which is similar to um, the e-privacy law in the EU. Um, so basically, uh, in terms of cookies, the privacy regulator stance is that um, number one, um, not cookie, not all form of cookies collect data. So to the extent that the cookies do not, um, you know, collect personal data, then probably is uh, outside of the, you know, scope of the PTPA in Singapore. And secondly, even if cookies do collect data, um, there may be ways uh, for deemed consent to apply. So, for example, if um, you know the uh, individual is aware of the purposes for which cookies collect his data and voluntarily provided his consent, then um, you know we can rely on deemed consent. And thirdly, um, consent may also be reflected in a way that you know the user interacts or configures his interaction with the internet. So for example, a user may have uh, a set of certain types of cookies or rejected and uh, other forms of cookies. And um, and the view is that you know we would uh, regard these individuals uh, to have consented to the use of his cookies, which have been accepted by him. So, um, but the bottom line is that you know if a uh, organization wants to use uh, cookies to co to collect data for behavioral targeting or advertising, then definitely consent uh, must be obtained from the individuals. Yeah, I was just going to say from the Australian point of view, I think the the comparison, I guess, is. Uh, is that our law was probably compared to Singapore and UK and EU, the the last to have been significantly updated, and so perhaps you know in some respects uh, you know it uh, in, is in more of a need of a refresh. Uh, but that process is actually uh, happening at the moment. There is a Privacy Act review occurring in Australia, uh, and we're sort of expecting it in a, in a lot of respects to um, to bring the Australian regime um, more in line with the GDPR, certainly not completely, um, and there will be a, a number of differences. In this context of direct marketing and targeted advertising and the like, there are a couple of particularly um, interesting uh, requirements that have been put forward. Um, particularly, there's no concept of targeting in the Act as it exists at the moment, but they are proposing to include that. So it would include profiling. Uh, and a lot of the use cases they talk about in the report are about targeted advertising, but then the proposal around what targeting means is certainly much broader than advertising. So they're talking about tailoring services, content, information, advertisements or offers, uh, and whether they're provided to or withheld from uh, one individual or uh, on their own, or that individual as a member of, of a group or class. Uh, so it's quite broad. And, and, and not only that, I mean, Peggy, you were just talking about the issue about whether the cookie is collecting personal data. Well, our proposals around targeting won't only apply to personal information, which is the term we use in Australia, uh, but also to de-identified and unidentified information. Uh, so things like internet history and tracking 
that will all um, uh, sort of feed into this concept. And then the requirement then will be that if you are targeting, it needs to be fair and reasonable. And that's going to be one of these uh, potentially overarching requirements that, that will be introduced uh, into the Act. So we're sort of talking about uh, legitimate interests and, and lawful bases before. Uh, well, one of the things that Australia is looking at is uh, aside from where people consent or there's another ground where you're, you know, you're doing things according to uh, to to other laws that permit you to uh, process personal information in a particular way. The suggestion is now there's this over overlying requirement. Uh, for the processing to be fair and reasonable, um, and that will apply to targeting, but potentially to um, other collection use and disclosure of personal information. Um, they're looking at specific prohibitions uh, for targeting based on uh, certain types of sensitive information, unless the content is uh, socially beneficial, uh, and also uh, prohibitions on targeting of children, um, except where it's in the children's best interests. Just one one other point, just to it to add there is around the the information to be provided, uh, where the information that you communicate to consumers around targeting um, will need to have information about the use of algorithms and and profiling, um, so how that's actually done, and also uh, requirements to conduct privacy impact assessments for high privacy risk activities. There's a whole range of them kind of listed in the proposals, but among those will be online tracking, profiling, delivery of personalised content and advertising to individuals, uh, and also any ongoing or real-time tracking of an individual's geolocation. And Claire, interested to, to hear from you in terms of incoming AI regulation in, in your jurisdiction in particular. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you. So I think first it might just be worth taking a step back and reiterating at this point that there is actually already this existing complex um, patchwork of regulation that governs the use of emerging technologies such as AI. And so far we've obviously focused on the data protection and privacy frameworks, but um, it also includes a mixture of IP, competition, employment or discrimination and human rights legislative frameworks and so on as well. Um, but by contrast, um, the AI specific regulation effectively complements and fills in the gaps between that existing patchwork in light of the unique risks that AI technologies can pose. Um, but as with um, the challenges we've seen generally of regulating the digital economy, there's a real challenge in regulating AI. And it's something that um, regulators and authorities are grappling with at the moment. Um, it's a real balancing act, a balancing act between ensuring um, safe, um, responsible and trustworthy use of the technology and protecting fundamental rights on the one hand, versus not stifling innovation or investment in AI technologies and being sufficiently flexible to evolve as the technology evolves on the other hand. So um, as a result, um, what we're seeing is different regulatory approaches from country to country, but there are some common themes, um, which I'm sure all of us can, can chat through today. Um, in particular, we're seeing some jurisdictions where authorities 
authorities are looking to adopt a more centralised or rules-based approach, such as in the EU. Um, by contrast, some are adopting a much lighter touch, more principles-based approach, such as the UK or Singapore, um, and others are focusing on a more sectoral approach. Um, and we also have jurisdictions that have been pretty quick off the mark and already have in place some AI-specific legislation, such as China. And Claire, you mentioned just that EU's proposed AI Act. That's obviously getting uh, quite a lot of attention in recent times. Perhaps could you speak to us just a little bit about that? Yes, of course, and it certainly is getting quite a lot of attention. So um, the EU, in addition to China, is really firmly at the forefront. Um, actively proposing a landmark, prescriptive, centralised, comprehensive, a really comprehensive piece of legislation to regulate AI. Um, the European Commission first published the draft AI regulation, it's known as the AI Act, back in April 2021. And since then, both the European Council and the European Parliament, so two of the main authorities that pass through the legislative process, have each adopted their own negotiating mandates, which are currently subject to trial of negotiations in an effort to try and reach final form. The way the Act works is it envisaged a, um, a tiered risk-based approach where AI systems are governed by rules that are proportionate to the level of risk that the AI system entails. So the greater the risk associated with its function, the greater the level of restrictions imposed. And the framework envisages four categories of risk. Um, the first at the very top, we have those AI systems that pose unacceptable risk to individuals. Um, these systems are prohibited. Examples include AI systems that give rise to a threat to the safety and rights of individuals, unequivocal harm to individuals, basically, and include things like um, manipulating human behaviour through subliminal techniques and systems that allow some form of social scoring of individuals by public authorities. And given that it's sort of right at the top um, of our tiered system, operating those kind of AI systems in breach of the prohibition can lead to the maximum penalty of up to 30 million euro or 6% of the total worldwide annual turnover. And then moving a set step down, secondly, the next level is the so-called high-risk AI systems. These are subject to pretty extensive regulatory requirements in relation to data sets. And all high-risk AI systems will be assessed before being put on the EU market and also throughout their life cycle. So requirements include data governance, record keeping, human monitoring and oversight, various risk assessments and so on to preserve fundamental rights by minimising the risk of error in the data or biased AI-assisted decisions and it's particularly aimed at critical areas. Examples include education, training, employment, law enforcement and judiciary, as well as um, AI systems relating to critical infrastructure, such as autonomous vehicles or supply of utilities. Um, thirdly, and I think of particular relevance to this particular session, we've got AI systems that present limited risks to fundamental rights. 
And these are subject to transparency obligations that effectively allow users to make an informed decision about their use of the AI system. So looking at this from a digital marketing side, it seems likely that a number of the digital marketing use cases, including those we've already discussed, could fall within this category. For example, when users are interacting with chatbots or are categorised based on their biometric data. Um, so under the transparency obligations, the users should be made aware that the chatbot or that categorization is powered by an AI algorithm and hasn't been created organically. And obviously, these principles of transparency overlap and complement the similar principles under the GDPR that, that um, has already been discussed. Um, this category also includes AI systems that generate or manipulate images, audio or video content. So, for example, deep fakes. And we've seen a huge rise in um, the use of deep fakes in digital marketing as well. Um, and I think it's also worth noting in this particular category that um, following intense debate around general purpose AI in particular, so AI systems without a specific functional purpose. The European Parliament um, proposed stricter obligations on foundation models, so a subcategory of general purpose AI that includes chat GBT as well. And then finally, the fourth layer we have are is sort of those AI systems that present no or minimal risk to individual rights or safety, where the AI um, Act doesn't impose restrictions, but there is potential for voluntary codes of conduct to be developed in due course. Um, now, given our audience, I think it's also worth noting that like the GDPR, the AI Act has extraterritorial effect. So what that means is it applies to any provider of an AI system, irrespective of whether they are based inside or outside the UK, if their systems are used directly in the EU or if the output of the system would impact individuals located in the EU. So worth bearing in mind if you're an organisation that intends to target consumers in the EU or your products or services are available to consumers in the EU, for example. Um, in terms of timing, there's a real drive to finalise the legislation in the next six to nine months. And some commentators have even suggested that the European Parliament and the European Council are rather ambitiously aiming to finalise it by autumn 2023. However, given the intended implementation period, which is likely to be two years, um, the provisions in the AI Act are unlikely to apply to those in scope until approximately 2026. So a bit of a way to go. And it's possible um, that the um, European Commission will come up with voluntary principles or standards that effectively underlie those in the EU AI Act to apply in the meantime. Um, I thought it might also be worth just um, touching on the UK. So by contrast, the UK government confirmed in its white paper in April 2023 that unlike the EU, it's not intending to establish a new legislative framework to regulate AI and it's not creating a new AI regulator. Instead, well, at least at this stage, because there's a bit of debate um, going on in the UK at the moment, but the UK is expected to take a pro-innovation and adaptable approach to future-proof 
AI regulation through a context-specific and sector-led approach in line with five common principles that existing regulators will have regard to um, when dealing with AI issues. And it's, of course, unclear at this stage the extent to which either the EU, the much more comprehensive legislative framework, or the lighter touch UK approach, whether either of them are likely to adequately strike the balance that I explained that regulators and authorities are looking to achieve in um, regulating AI. Um, the EU is looking once again to achieve what they term, what they've coined the Brussels effect. So trend set, set a high watermark for, in, for international AI regulation standards, much in the same way it did in respect of the EU GDPR. Um, but some critics have argued that that proposed prescriptive approach is likely to stifle innovation and drive investment to hubs outside the EU, particularly less sophisticated startups um, until an AI system is sufficiently mature to satisfy the appropriate AI Act requirements. However, on the other hand, others have reiterated, as we've seen with the GDPR, that regulation can in fact provide much needed certainty for industry and in doing so actually assist with innovation and investment if the correct balance is struck. But I guess um, only time will tell. That's that's really fascinating, Claire. And on the point about other hubs and perhaps some other international trends, Peggy and Carmen, what are you observing? Yes, um, for Singapore, I think Singapore's approach is kind of similar to the UK in the sense that there's no plan to regulate AI. Um, and rather than you know regulating AI, um, the Singapore approach uh, is that they have developed this um, tool called AI Verify, which is an AI governance testing framework and a software toolkit. Uh, the testing framework consists of 11 AI ethics principles, which are consistent with the internationally recognized AI frameworks. Um, the purpose of AI framework is really to help organizations validate the performance of the AI systems against these principles. And in addition to uh, in addition to AI verify, um, the Singapore government has also issued uh, this model AI fr governance framework, uh, which provides detailed and readily implementable guidance to private sector organizations to address key ethical and governance issues uh, when they um, deploy AI solutions. And of course, um, I will need to you know, mention China because, uh, as you may be aware, uh, in mid-July, China has issued the world's first and most detailed regulation on gen generative AI models. And this new law will take effect in uh, mid-August. Uh, so the key points of these new rules is that, you know, uh, basically, um, uh, you know, um, AI, generative AI models in China, um, they have imposed these obligations on the service provider to ensure that the training data and the model outputs would be true and accurate. Um, also, like, you know, in terms of the contents, AI contents, um, the contents must be healthy and conform to the core socialist principles and values in China. And um, and indeed, uh, AI service providers, if they discover any illegal contents or activities, um, they are obliged to uh, stop such operations and report these activities to authorities. 
In terms of algorithm design and training data selection, uh, Chinese regulators also require these service providers to avoid any discrimination based on um, ethnicity, faith, country, religion, etc. Um, so basically, AI models and chatbots should not generate any false or harmful information. So um, how common, how about in Australia? What's the um, uh, AI regulation trends in Australia? Yeah, thanks, Peggy. I feel like Australia is sort of, I guess, keeping an eye on what's happening in, in some of the other jurisdictions like those that we've mentioned so far. We have had a set of voluntary AI ethics principles uh, since 2019. I don't know that they're sort of widely known or, or used um, in, um, uh, in, in practice at the moment, uh, but there is a bit of a consultation uh, going on uh, and probably a lot of it is uh, trying to kind of decide where on that balance that Claire was talking about, we're going to sit kind of that, that um, you know, weighing up risk versus opportunity and, and, and where we sit. So for now, I think, you know, I think the point has, has sort of been made that, you know, existing laws do still have a role to play in, in, in a lot of the um, deployment of AI. Uh, you know, in, in the context of um, advertising and promotion, uh, I think we've talked about intellectual property, um, consumer law. So, you know, the, the risk of generating, uh, you know, certainly there's been a lot of press about misinformation or generating false and misleading statements, uh, the potential for discrimination, uh, you know, whether based on uh, sex, uh, race or um, other characteristics uh, and, and possibly some some sector laws as well. Uh, and another one is defamation. We actually have an interesting um, uh, situation here in Australia where a, um, a, a politician here uh, has been looking to sue OpenAI uh, after um, ChatGPT, uh, which is OpenAI's product, uh, had produced text claiming that he'd been jailed for bribery, which uh, which was incorrect. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out. Well, Claire, Peggy, Carmen and Duke, thank you so much for talking shop with us today. Some fantastic insights from across our global network on a topic that is no doubt exercising the minds of our listeners. To our listeners, as always, thank you for your time and we look forward to speaking again. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.